Hello, this is Peter Jonathan Robertson with the 62nd episode from the PJ Archive. It comprises two very enjoyable phone interviews I did with the multi-talented British singer-songwriter and actor David Essex. The first of these took place in 2002 when he had a new album to promote. The new album's called Forever. Yeah. Why? Well, in the back of my mind, it could be the last one. Really? It could be, yeah. Um, I still feel, you know, I want, I want to write songs, but, I, but I'm... Uh, you know, I probably will do another one, but just as I, as I was writing, I thought, well, maybe this will be the last one. Gosh. And Forever seemed to be um, a reasonable signing-off notion. That's a very sad thought. That it could be your last, isn't it? It is, in a way. That's why, as I said it to you, I started, <laughs> started to <laughs> reassess. But, yeah. but I think at the time of writing, I was pretty convinced it was going to be the last one. But the way it's come out, I'm very pleased with the way it's come out. Maybe there'll be a few more. Good. Um, how do you feel your current music compares to that of your sort of hit-making heyday? I think it's equally as strong. Otherwise, you know, I, I wouldn't keep doing it. Um, I still feel I've got something to say as a writer and, uh, you know, singer. I think one of, the, one of the sad things, of course, is that it, it, it doesn't receive the attention from um, radio that, that obviously the earlier stuff did, which uh, I feel slightly frustrated on behalf of people that relate to what I do because, um, you know, there's very little of, of the um, contemporary stuff of mine that you hear on the radio unless I do an interview. Mm then they'll play a track, but um, that's just the way of the world. I mean, I accept it. I just feel a bit a bit frustrated on behalf of people that, you know, are interested in what I do. So do you feel you're a victim of the music industry's prejudice against artists over a certain age, then? Um, I, I never feel like a victim, Peter, but, no, I, I just uh, I kind of accept it. I, I'm fully aware that what I do is as good as what's around, mm. um, so I'm secure with that. You know, I don't have any kind of sour feeling about um, that. It's just, um, it's just, you know, it's, it's difficult for people that have been successful like I have for a reasonably long time mm. to be flavour of the month. And, mm. you know, it's, it's probably the kind of radio stations that sell records um, tend to, you know, be a little bit blinkered. But I, I, I don't want to sound off about it. I mean, I'm not bitter. I mean, I, I certainly had my... Um, my years on the radio but it, but it is a little bit sad you know on behalf of people that uh, when, you, when you make and write a record obviously you, you work hard at it and you try and do the best you can and uh, as I say I'm, I'm kind of objective I know what I do is, is contemporary in its sound and, and relevant you know so it's uh, it would be nice if it was around a little bit more on the radio but not to worry how many years have you been doing the sort of annual tours? <laughs> Probably before you were born. <laughs> I think we uh, we kicked off in about 1974, and uh, generally we've toured every... It might have been 75, but every year since then. So, I mm. mean, it's a long time, isn't it? When you're at tour destinations, apart from rehearsing and performing, what, what do you do? Do you do any sightseeing or anything? Try to. I mean, that's one of the great things about the touring. I try to get off the beaten track a, a bit. It'd be easier for me to do less dates, you know, and probably bigger venues uh, than doing 54. As, uh, and mm. with respect, you know, I like to go to Worthing. I like to go 
really around the country. I enjoy mm. seeing smaller theatres. Uh, you know, we do play the Royal Albert Hall and the International Centre of Bournemouth, all those bigger places. But one of the great things about the tour is that you do. I mean, I'll be up in Inverness in a couple of weeks and we can have a wander around there. And mm. you get to know Britain a little bit more, much more, I suspect, than, than if I didn't tour in the way I did. As you indicated, your tour schedule is extremely heavy and you hardly take a break. To what extent is this your conscience repaying the loyalty of your fans with sheer hard work? <laughs> Seriously? I think, I think there is an element of that. I mean, it is a way of saying thank you. But fundamentally, I, I enjoy it. I love the immediacy of uh, the one-night stands, you know. The, the, mm. the fact, obviously, there's a structure and a framework, but but they live for, in that particular city, and then you move on to the next. That's why I'm always a little reluctant to enter into the theatre, because although it's a broader canvas in many ways, it's more structured, and you can become a prisoner of success. Yeah. You know, I mean, I played Jesus for nearly two years, <laughs> and Fletcher Christian for six months, and change for me is, is is a good thing. Do you um, think you've still got the sort of East End hard work ethic in you, though? Probably. I mean, I mm. suppose, uh, you know, I say in my book, I'm a, I'm a jobbing pop star, and I'm used to that. I mean, right, right the way back when I was in blues bands, it was the same kind of thing. You'd play six nights, you know, one in Sunderland, next one in Bournemouth, and be nine of us in a Bedford Dormerville. So I'm kind of used to the, the work ethic of it, and Part of me, when I see other people's tours, you know, they play like Wembley, this, mm. that, and the other. They play about four dates. I think, oh, imagine that, four <laughs> dates. Part of me is envious. But the, but in a way, this is a grassroots tour and a grassroots way of saying thank you, I suppose. This is not going to be your last tour as well as last album, is it? I wouldn't think so, no. I hope not. Um, you've long been regarded as one of the genuinely decent showbiz stars. Has there ever been a time when you feel you were undeserving of that reputation? And what tests your patience these days? Well, uh, I don't think you ever feel totally deserving um, to, to have savoured the amount of success and the amount of interest that I have. You, I think it is always a part of you that thinks, why? But I've, I've always approached what I do with the attitude that it's, you know, it's no more righteous or worthy than, than what anybody else does. Um, I just try and do the best I can in the hope that it relates. Uh, I think that's just been my attitude, really. How do you feel about still singing songs which were hits for you like three decades ago? When you do a set list, it's, it verges on the painful, but when you actually are there and you strike up the first bars of mm. songs that, have, I suppose, are in the social fabric of this country and people, you know, the reaction is there, then obviously there's a massive reason to do them. For me and the band, you know, we it gives us an edge to play the new stuff. I mean, we'll be playing four or five songs from the new album, the Forever album, because we need to do that. You know, I've one of the things I talk about in my book is the fact that I've always had a problem savouring the moment and looking back. Mm. I've always had this kind of... Uh, Forge your head syndrome. Yeah, yeah. and I think that's probably good. You know, I've not really sat down and thought, wow, look at me, I've got, you know all these gold records and everything and stuff. Yeah, I've always just got on with the next thing. Hold Me Close is currently being used in a TV ad for fairy soap powder. How do you feel about your music being used in such a way and have you received lots of free soap powder? <laughs> <laughs> not, not a grain of soap powder has passed through the office. <laughs> um, but, no, I think yeah, I saw the ad before I agreed that they could use it. And, oh, right. uh, it's a nice little ad and I thought, well, yeah. And one of the th 
always remember there is a there's a kind of obscenity about advertising I, I played Jesus for two years and because mm -hmm. uh, Jeff Wayne was a fellow I was involved with for yeah, the yeah. first few albums as a big advertising sort of agency for music I, I, I sang uh, a song for Pledge and I made more money from the song from Pledge than I did from playing Jesus for two years so <laughs> Was that like a jingle song, was it? Yeah, like, let mm. the sun come into your oh. life, bring in the sun. Pledge. Did you? Blimey, did he write that as well? No, I didn't write that, yeah. no. <laughs> but, um, is, is there anything you wouldn't advertise? Yeah, I wouldn't advertise many things, really. Uh, hardly anything. Right. I mean, I've never done... Uh, I th you know, I think it's a pretty strange world. It's very lucrative, but... Uh, no, I do get asked to do bits and pieces, but I've never really fancied advertising anything. Um, using my music for the soap ad, that's fair enough, you know, that's a nice little ad and and that's okay, but to actually go to their stands with something and say, buy this, is not really my cup of tea. I don't even do it about my own stuff, so I don't know mm. why I should do it about anybody else's. <laughs> <laughs> At your concerts, though, the highlight for the audience is definitely the song If I Could. Yeah. Which are your favourites of your hits? I'm very proud of Imperial Wizard. Yeah. Uh, I like that. Uh, that was written in a sort of... Um, when it was a little unfashionable for people to think of, of the Soviet Union being imperialistic, but in a way they were. Uh, and the production on that, the size of the production... Uh, generally, it's usually the things you've just finished, mm. you know, like the Forever album, I'm all bouncing up and down about that. But Rock On, obviously, was yeah. something extraordinary. It was one of those things that happened in the studio that was very special. I like Lamplight, I must say. Do you? Yeah, that's a great song. Well, I've dropped that from the set. Have like, you? Oh, Stick it back in again. <laughs> <laughs> but you won't, you, you'll always do If I Could. It's a great moment when everyone flocks around up to the stage, don't they? And, um, yeah, it, it really does relate, yeah. yeah. And how do you feel about the loyal core of women fans who, who sort of come towards the stage at all of your shows and turn up at the stage door as well? How do you feel about them? I, I, I feel grateful that, uh, you know, they're, they're still interested. Uh, and I also feel very pleased when I look down and see kind of three generations there, you know, mm. where mum's bought the daughter or, or the nan's bought the daughter who's then bought, you know, the son. Or, and it's very mixed now, much more mixed than it used to be. How many of those fans can you recognise from years gone by? There's a few that seem to take their holidays when we tour and do <laughs> nearly as many days as we do. So, I mean, um, <laughs> I've recognised probably... There's probably about 25 that I, I kind of say, oh, yeah, hello again. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about the fact that so many of your women fans believe you're singing just for them personally? Well, I think that's probably um, a gift. I mean, I, whenever I perform a song... Uh, I always think that it's a little playlet in a way. I mean, I don't, get, hopefully, don't go over the top in the acting of it. I don't ham it up, but mm. but to me, they're an extension of of a small piece of theatre. So if that does communicate, then that's great. But for a long time, you weren't able to walk down the streets without being mobbed. I mean, how did you feel when that situation lessened slightly? Was it difficult to accept? No, it was a relief. Really. <laughs> It was a relief. I've always been a slightly reluctant, uh, whatever I've been. Celebrity. Yeah. I suppose so, yeah. Mm. Strangely, I don't think I'm an extrovert. Uh, I probably perform to communicate, mm. and uh, it's, you know, it's a way of life for me now. Um, I never really wanted to be a singer. I didn't know I was going to be a, a, a writer, or a, all I really wanted to be was a jazz drummer, or a footballer just before that. 
so it was all a bit accidental but I, you know I do take pride in what I do whatever it is and and I, that's that's it really I just think well this is try and do the best I can if somebody likes it that's brilliant well, what's the sort of cheekiest thing that your female fans have done in recent years do you still get them hiding in your wardrobes and stuff uh, not so much thank goodness no no I think there's a kind of there's a, there's a wonderful sensitivity to a certain extent they're, they're, they're very protective and they understand they you know after all these years they sort of understand me and they, they know I like privacy they know I'm fundamentally a private person and mm. I, they seem to respect that which I'm grateful for to what extent has being the subject of female adoration made it hard for you to settle down in your personal life over the years well I've never really understood the um, the attraction myself which maybe is what makes me attractive <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so it, it's been a bit outside my what I think about really I try not to abuse that. Oh, in the past, I've tried not to abuse that that adulation and the fact that somebody thinks that you're, you know, a god. I've tried to diffuse any sort of manic approach. Um, I think what helped Peter was the fact that it took a little bit of time. I think if all this had happened to me when I was seventeen instead of when I was twenty-three, I mean. I talk about it in a charmed life when I was 23. There was there, there mm. was a two-week period when I was coming to the end of Godspell. That was the mm. biggest ticket. Rock On I'd written, and that had gone to number one worldwide. And um, that would be the day I'd come out, and that mm. was the biggest film. But before all that happened, uh, I, you know, I had this period with the blues bands and doing a bit of repertory at the end of a pier in front of six or seven dear little old ladies. So... <laughs> When fame and madness came, I, w- I was always a little bit suspicious of it, and, and I've realised, I think, how transient it was. So that's never really got to me. There was a difficult time during Stardust when mm. I was mirroring a lot of oh, yeah. what was going on for me in real life and fictionalising, so there was a bit of an identity crisis. <laughs> but all in all, I, th- I thought, well, fame and, and that aspect of it has never really gone to my head, I don't think, because... Uh, it was quite useful that it took, from the age of uh, when I left school in the bands from 16 to 23, that I was basically sort of starving in, in a very worthy blues attic. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was kind of useful to draw upon. With such a successful career, how hard has it been to devote yourself to other areas of your life, such as your family? It's easier now, uh, and I've made that conscious uh, see i missed a lot of the two i've got four children the first two i missed a lot because i'd be kind of uh coming in as and they'd already just gone off to school if you know Mm. what i mean so i missed that but with the uh i've had a sort of second go at all this and Mm. uh with four children i'm i do pick and choose and say no a lot because I think, you know, we. I wasn't wanted for what seemed to be a, a long time for me. Then all of a sudden, everybody wanted me, and mm. we just nodded, and I was everywhere. I was doing everything. But now I don't. When and how did you first realise you had a, a sort of endearing, cute twinkle in your eyes? I never never realised and never thought about it. I'm but, sorry to say. That's all right. If you've ever worked at being cute, or if, um, if it's always entirely accidental. No, I think I'd, I'd try and do the opposite. How do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) To being cute. I'd hate to be be a cutesy person for the sake of it. Mm. I think, you know, Peter, I'm pretty natural. I just sort of get on with what I do, and uh, it's always surprised me, the attraction. 
Do you feel that your good looks have ever undermined your career and yeah, people's attitudes uh, towards it? Musically, I, I mean, I remember when Rock On came out, and that would be the day. Of, that I was like front page of the NME, all the cutting-edge newspapers, and then I got a bit successful, and then, of course, uh, all the mag- teenage girl magazines picked up on me. And then, of course, it, it, all of a sudden, I wasn't credible anymore. So mm. there is that aspect to it. It might have been better to have, have been more conventionally ugly with a few pimples, but it, what can I do? How do you feel now when you look back at footage and photographs of yourself from earlier in your career like that? Well, it bring back lots of, lots of memories, really. Um, uh, I was never like a slave to fashion, so there's, there's not too many um, pictures I see that I squirm at. I've always, you know, just worn what was clean or comfortable. I never went out on a limb, you know, in fashion terms. Uh, they, uh, they bring back memories. I mean, writing the book again was like full of uh, mm. memories, and some things were astounding to just read about some of the reviews and the press cuttings and what I was up to and all the rest of it. How difficult is it to get older in a youth-orientated industry, particularly when you've been so famed for your looks? Doesn't worry me. Um, as I say, I'll I'll uh, I'll keep going as long as I I feel I retain a certain dignity about what I do and, and uh, as long as I feel I've got something to say that aspect doesn't worry me and in some ways it's probably a bit of a relief how do you mean well because uh, you, you know you're not chasing around trying to be flavor of the month you're your own man you've mm. you, you've, you've got your uh, attitude start to fix and um, maybe you're more patient about things and you know it's, it's just a some of the qualities that, that you're blessed with as you, as you do get older. To what extent do you keep yourself in trim these days? I've always been naturally fit, touch wood. I'm not a person who has personal, you know, fitness instructors and all that cobblers. But <laughs> it, that's not for me. I'm, I'm, yeah. I've just loved sport all my life. And uh, I've got 14-year-old twin boys who are very sporty, so they chase me around the park trying to catch them with the ball and everything else. So um, I think that's really a genuine interest in sport has helped me keep fairly um, fairly fit do, does anyone influence or decide what clothes you wear on stage and on tv and stuff or do you use that you purely sadly, you... no <laughs> <laughs> sadly no you're your own man in that respect i am you? i mean the only yeah. time i usually shop is when we're on tour and it gets you know we've got like a few hours in the day then we're popping into a shop but i can't stand shopping i'm not really interested in clothes <laughs> much has often been made though of your gypsy roots to what extent are you still a vagabond at heart i think i am in as much as change is very important to me change is the stimulant so i think that that probably goes back to it and what sort of things do you do away from work these days i mean you're still into motorcycles and all that sort of stuff i've got a couple of motorbikes yeah i'm very interested in what the boys get up to you know i love mm. watching them playing their their various sports and so on i like the theater a lot I pop into that now and again a nice circle of friends and you know, I, I play cricket i don't play football as much as i used to i'm a little mm. past that I've, I've, too many wingers have whizzed by me <laughs> But, uh, you know, a bit of this, bit of that. Are you still involved with the VSO? Yeah, I'm on the council, and the council really decides what uh, VSO's policy will be in the developing world. Is that a very important part of your life, I imagine? It is, yeah. How often do you return to Plasto and London's East End, and how does that make you feel now? That's always home to me, um, and I'm usually there. I'll be there tomorrow, 
because I'll be on my way to Upton Park. Oh, yeah, see the hammers, yeah. Uh, my dad's buried there and uh, aunts and uncles, so, uh, I mean, it's, that's where I come from and where, where home is still, and uh, where, whenever I'm there, I, that's where I feel the most comfortable, strangely. When you come from a modest background and make it big, to what extent does that create problems? Does it sort of make you feel guilty in a way? It may do. I think in the early days you thought, oh, what's all this about, you know? Mm. <laughs> People are paying me money. And uh, I'm living in this posh house in the West End and all that. Uh, I remember going to see a warehouse in the East End and I just couldn't buy it because it was, str- it was com- right opposite a, a block of council flats and having come from the council flats, I just... Mm couldn't really make that leap but then you know I I do work hard and uh, and if I brought a little happiness along the way and people you know finance that then I I suppose that's all okay what's become of your career rewards and memorabilia and things most of them in boxes funnily enough they're going to stay there are they I suspect so I don't quite know what to do with them maybe um, when I've got that great rock and roll heaven you know maybe (laughs) the kids would be interested in them Considering you've always been a very private person, how hard was it for you to write your autobiography? It was tricky. But I think what spurred me into it was the fact that so many journalists and writers have been at me to to write my life story over Mm. the years. And having turned 50, I thought, well, you know, I've probably had a bit of a life now. (laughs) And I always wanted to write it myself. um, Because if you wanted, you know, I wanted my voice to come through it. And it just felt about the right time, really. And, and how much of your life did you not include in it? And what, what sort of things? Uh, any kiss and tell stuff I didn't, because I think that lacks dignity. I mean, I wouldn't tell the football team the ins and outs of that or the cricket team I was playing for. Mm. Um, it's just not my style. But I've been lucky to travel a lot, so there's lots of stories and adventures of, of, of the travels I've done. What do you think you learnt most about yourself when writing about yourself? It made me aware of how in, what an enormous star I was, because you know that doesn't it's never really registered. But when when I started to go through things, I thought, "Blimey, <laughs> did I do that? <laughs> did that happen?" Uh, that that's really what what was quite interesting. Lots of it felt like yesterday. Other things felt like another life. Mm. It was very interesting. I mean it. I think a certain melancholy develops after finishing it, because you feel as though, in a way, that's it, but hopefully it's not. When reflecting on your career, many people tend to refer to the 70s as your finest period. What do you think? Well, it, 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 as far as as far as far the, the, the nation are concerned, I mean, that was when, I suppose, I made the biggest impact. So I, I understand that, but... As I say, you know, I'm, I'm very much today and tomorrow, so that can be a bit frustrating. 70s crooner doesn't yeah. please me too much. But a lot of it, because, you know, this tour will play to nearly a quarter of a million people. Absolutely. And, and they know, and, and with respect, you've been recently to the concert. Absolutely. So, yeah. so you know what we do. So it's only people that are uninitiated and not really haven't followed what I do, and you know, I just think, well, why should they, you know? So you just let it... Let it go. One person I was interested in isn't mentioned in your book is Mark Boland. Do you have any memories of him? No, I just only met him once, and that was a, a, a Buddy Holly publishing thing with Paul McCartney. So I didn't know him. Well, were you impressed? Did you like him? Yeah, I liked him. I liked his music a lot, mm. um, and I liked his stage presence. But I, I couldn't form an opinion. It was, you no. know, a shindig, and it was all a bit manic. 
Who have you been most thrilled to meet or work with over the years? Richard Burton. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what about Jeremy Irons? Are you still mates with him? We are, but we never, we never really see each other or talk. But, you know, we, our, our relationship is so strong that it's always there, you know. Because when I met you about nine years ago, you'd just been punting with him on the river at Henley or something. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's, that's actually the last time I saw him. Do you have any regrets, career-wise? No, I mean, in career terms, obviously, uh, being so, so much of an Anglophile was, was not particularly helpful because, you know, I had a massive fit in America and never went there. Um, and that's where films are made, and, and I suppose if you're talking materialistically, we're, I think, 12% of the world market, where America's about 56. So, you know, that, that in career terms was pretty suicidal, but personally, I've always been my own man. I wanted to stay here, and I wanted my family to stay here. I didn't fancy yeah. living in Los Angeles. I like New York a lot. I did spend yeah. some time in New York, but I never really worked over there. So in career terms, that's, um, that's not good. Mm. But in personal terms, that's the way I wanted it. You've fulfilled many burning ambitions, but are there any still burning? I like this writing, Lark. Apparently, the, you know, the publishers are thrilled with the book, and it's, uh, it was number four bestseller. It's mm. still in the best-selling list, I think number seven this week, going up and down. And I enjoy doing it, so maybe in the future... I'll get a little straw Panama and uh, <laughs> sit down somewhere and just write books. That'd be quite good. To what extent do you feel you've been given the credit that you deserve? Well, it's a bit of a circle there. I mean, the respect I get now is phenomenal from young bands and, you know, uh, in quotes with it, DJs and everything else. There's a lot of respect. But, yeah, yeah I suppose in the 80s, you know, or, or early 90s, people would, would want to get rid of you, you know, as yesterday's news. But... It comes around again. Mm. You know, I know uh, uh, people want to record records with me and all the rest of it, um, but I don't really fancy doing that. Mm. How do you like to be remembered after you're gone? Um, I'd like to be rem remembered as somebody that was honest. That's it? <laughs> <laughs> right. What about music-wise? How would you like to be remembered? Well, uh, I'd like... Well, I... I know that I've I've written tunes that have related and meant a lot to a lot of people, and, and that's brilliant. You couldn't ask for better than that. Mm. I must ask you, did you see I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here? Yes. What did you think of Darren Day's accent, which is getting a lot of stick at the moment? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what he really speaks like. I mean, I only saw glimpses of it. I've no idea. Um, I don't know. Did he sound like a true East Ender to you? No. No. I'm giving you a chance to get your own back here because he's done impersonations of you over the years. Has he? Yes. Well, I know I'm, his big, I'm one of his big heroes, so, you know, I shouldn't really uh, have a go at him. But no, I mean, my, my East End accent has, has tempered over the years, you know, because of the acting and all the rest of it. I suppose you just want people to understand what you're saying instead of, <laughs> instead of saying what. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you very much indeed. That's all right, Peter. Pleasure. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The second of my interviews with the wonderful David Essex took place in 2006, and this time he had a new Best Of album out. Obviously we're promoting initially the, uh, the Greatest Hits album. Right. Um, what makes this one different or better than any previous ones? I'm especially pleased because it's got uh, a few of the more current tracks. It's got uh, the title track of, of the last internet album, It's Gonna Be Alright. So it's kind of a... I think it's more of a, a picture of, of me musically over 
a bloody long time, isn't it? Yeah. It's about <laughs> 33 years or something. Mm-hmm. So I think it's quite, kind of quite, a, you know, a, a good snapshot of uh, what I've been up to as a writer and, and recording artist. As far as I can tell, you've never done a Greatest Hits DVD. Why is that? Um, I don't know. I mean, we... Um, we do lack energy with certain things. It's probably a <laughs> do with that, just not getting around to it, I think. Uh, you know, and I've been in a in a stage musical touring for 18 months as well. So, yeah. you know, you, you get involved in certain projects and, and some other things maybe you should have done, you don't do. Hmm. So there's no ominous reason. It's just um, something that hasn't been done. But might be in the future. Yeah, it's a good idea now you've mentioned it. I hadn't thought of it. <laughs> Can you give you 10% then? <laughs> Take 12. <laughs> Take 12, thanks. <laughs> it'll probably sell about eight. Oh, well, I'll <laughs> buy it anyway. <laughs> um, what are the factors making it difficult for artists of a certain age, such as yourself, to have hit records these days? Well, I think the singles market is, has become uh, pretty kind of uh, unimportant, hasn't it? Sadly. Plus the fact that, you know, I think if, you, if you've been successful for a long time, then uh, you're old hat and uh, the stations that play uh, music that, uh, that kids buy uh, tends not to, to play you. I mean, there's, there's quite a lot of us in that situation. So if, you don't, if what you're doing doesn't get heard, then obviously um, people don't relate to it. Do you feel resentful about that? No, I don't care. I mean, it's slightly frustrating, I suppose, because mm. you you write and record, and you think you know you've got something to say, and and um, when when it doesn't get a, a, at least a fair hearing, um, it's slightly frustrating. But I've been blessed with an incredible uh, amount of people that are interested in what I'm doing over the years, and it's something I don't take for granted. The the internet. Uh, albums, the last six albums have been only available on the David Essex website where, yeah. where we have more control. They've, they've done very well. In fact, the, not the, the latest album, it's going to be all right. The one before called Sunset would have been a top five album if, if you've got, you know, uh, chart places with, with internet sales. So uh, all, all is pretty good and it's a fantastic loyal fan base, as yeah. they say. Yeah. If you ran the music industry, though, to what extent would you want to make it easier for artists like you to continue flourishing? Well, I, I, I think it's. I think they're a little bit silly, really, because you know they can sell successfully. I don't know what what singles sell now, but probably not not the kind of figures where, where, when I was releasing singles. And I think they underestimate the demand for people mm. uh, that have been around a long time. You know, mm. it's always a surprise, like, uh, uh, you know, an album would come out from some, some, if you like, established artist and does incredibly well, you know, because people um, people don't get to hear. And if there's a bit of advertising around it, they think, oh, yeah, yeah, I must get that. Oh, I loved mm. all those old songs and all the rest of it. So it's, it's, it's a bit of a case of, what is it, out of mind, out of whatever. Yeah, out of um, sight, out of mind, yeah. Yes. Yeah, because uh, if you were starting out in the music industry now, you'd have to fancy your chances against the artists of today, because th- you know, um, there was much more competition around when you were a serious competition. Around yeah, there was. I, I mean, there was more of a kind of live entity. I mean, uh, most of us started in blues bands or R and B bands, and you know, played and and, and wrote, and um, th- there was an energy. I mean, I started in the sixties, and I think that in the sixties probably the UK was the, the centre of the universe for 
for music, uh, art, photography, and you know, mm. fashion, all yeah. the rest of it. So it was a very exciting time, and it was, there, there was a lot of competition. But but I don't think you know we thought of it as competition. I think we all entered it because we love music. Uh, a lot of us were infatuated with black music. I, I myself blues music, mm. and that was the reason. And 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 the fame was a kind of. Uh, the fame and fortune was a side issue. I mean, all mm. very pleasant, and it, it, it gave you a certain amount of freedom to say, no thanks, I don't want to do that, instead <laughs> of having to, you know, play in Sunderland one night and Bournemouth the next. But I think the emphasis has changed a little bit. You know, it seems that fame is a little bit more important than anything. Which decade has been most fun to work in? I kind of like the 60s, myself. Because it was all new? Well, yeah, and it was, you know, for, for me it was very, you know, it was sleeping in a Bedford Dormerville, it was playing <laughs> blues clubs and... Um, you could always go back to that, couldn't you? I could, actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could. Sell the Daimler. You've got to stop with these good ideas, though. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, um, most, of, most of the music we played was sort of music to slit your wrist to. It was yeah. all very depressing urban blues. Uh, yeah. I, I can't tell you how many times the publicans have told us, can we play something lively? <laughs> Um, but it's gone back to that now. All these people like James Blunt and, I don't know, all sorts of bands now are playing very depressing music, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Well, they are depressing times, sadly, aren't they, yeah, generally? They are. yeah, um, yeah. They weren't in the 60s. I think we were just wallowing in some kind of... Uh, well, I think the influences, you know, were, that, that were coming across felt so fresh and yeah. energised to us. Uh, you know, people like... But when I first heard Buddy Guy, that was when I first thought, oh, it would be quite interesting to sing because yeah. I've never heard anyone convey so much emotion through yeah. his voice. Which other artists have you become friends with over the years? Uh, lots of acquaintances, but I'm not really a, a showbiz person. I mean, I don't I don't go to functions. I don't, you know, go to parties and, and all that. So, you know, I mean... Good friends over the years, like people I've worked with, really Ringo and John Lennon. I knew a bit. In fact, Rock On was one of his top three favourite records ever, which Go was on. a great compliment. I should say. Obviously, the late Adam Faith, Keith yeah, yeah. Moon, yeah. Kenny Jones, who was with the Faces, his good friend. So I don't have a long list of what you call real friends, but lots right. of acquaintances. I think this this business does that. You know, you work quite intimately with people for a short period and then, yeah. then you never see them again and uh, are there any that you regret never having met um not really no i i met little richard that was big and uh, <laughs> uh be nice to meet a few of the old blues guys before they um, go to blues heaven but yeah. um <laughs> no I, I mean i met your queen and your Duke of Edinburgh and yeah. <laughs> uh, shook hands with Fidel Castro and other bits and pieces. So, I mean, no, I've been very lucky in, in, in the people that I've met and people I've worked with. Would you like to be Sir David one day? That would sound nice. I wouldn't mind it. Yeah, I mean, I've got an OBE, which my kids call, is they say it's short for old big head. But, uh, <laughs> one of those which is a great honour so you wouldn't turn it down like a lot of trendy rock stars do no yeah. no I'd, uh, I probably wouldn't use it you, you could still call me Dave but, could I <laughs> but you know if I, if I wanted to write sort of an important letter to somebody I might stick it in <laughs> what's been your proudest moment as a recording artist a pop star an actor and a person uh, it's been a lot, thank goodness. I mean, I, I suppose there was one one period that was, uh, I don't think anybody else has done ever, uh, where I was in Godspell, the hottest show, playing yeah. Jesus. 
Uh, That'll Be The Day came out, that was our film, and, and Rock On was on its way up to number one in America. Uh, so he had the three mediums. That was in 73. Well, but uh, as a person? As a person. Away from showbiz. Away from showbiz, where it's got to be, uh, you know, the children, birth of the children, and the twins uh, going to the West Ham Academy, playing football for West Ham boys. Really? And Are they playing there now? No, they want to be musicians. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very angry, because they're fantastic cricketers and footballers. Right. And the other other son was uh, a good cricketer as well. So you know, sports always been important to me. Yeah. So are they are they getting anywhere in the music industry? Your twins? Yeah, yeah. Slowly but surely, they're they're writing some very very good stuff, and they're finding a sort of direction. Um, there was talk of a development deal from a, a major record company, but I, I thought they were a little young, and uh, and they're a bit more than a because they look decent. They take after their mother. You mm. know, we, we were a bit worried about the boy band aspect. Uh-huh. So we'll wait a little while and try and get it right. Will you be performing with them, or will you steer clear of that? I'll probably steer clear of that. Mm. It's too energetic for me. (laughs) (laughs) To what extent do you feel your career suffered from the fact that you did acting as well as singing? I don't think it did. Um, uh, You you know, if you were thinking in cold career suicidal terms, the fact that uh, I was number one in America and never went there was probably not, not, not uh, right. you know, never went there at the time and uh, drove Columbia Records up the wall, but mm. um, that, that was probably, a, a, you know, a career um, mistake, but not a personal mistake, so I, don't, I haven't made many personal mistakes, whatever I fancy doing, I've always been my own man, I kind of make that decision, so that means that you know, if I, if I want to go and tour around the UK doing a musical about the 80s, playing um, St. Peter, mm. which I'm doing now, I'll yep. do. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy because that's that's what I wanted to do, and, you know, I believed in what I was doing, so mm. that's the way it's worked. So probably, you know, if it, if it had just been a singular um, singer of other people's songs, like some people, it probably wouldn't have gone on 35 years or whatever mm. it's been. I think maybe being able to work in different mediums has, has given it longevity. You know, people don't get sick of me in one medium. Do you, <laughs> I do disappear. You, <laughs> you don't strike me as a person with regrets, though, someone who... You, you no, don't really... I haven't got... I have, I have none at all, Peter. You don't sort of kick yourself for not having gone to America that no, time? No, right? no, I mean, I, I made that decision then, and, and that was fine, and mm. uh, I walked out of a massive... Uh, proposed recording contract because they wanted to turn me into the new Elvis Presley and wanted mm. to have creative control, you know, I mean, millions of dollars, and but I don't really, you know, that's what I wanted to do, and that's fine. How much memorabilia do you have of your career and, and which means most to you? Uh, I mean, I've got the gold platinum discs and all that lying around somewhere. They're not on a wall, but I know they're somewhere in an attic. Um... The OBE is, I think I know where that is. I mean, I, 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 I don't sort of treasure things like that. I, I've, I'm slowly getting over. I used to have a problem of wanting to get to, get to tomorrow today. So, you mm. know, people say, oh, you're number one. I go, oh, that's great. Right, let's now write the next tune. I never really savoured success. I remember one time when I was filming with uh, Keith Moon, we were doing an all-night shoot. And we came back to the Midland Hotel in Manchester where we were, and there was a message saying, congratulations, you're number one in America. Mm. And I showed it to Keith, and I went, oh, look, that's nice, I'm number one in America. And he went completely nuts, you know, got champagne. And, oh. and uh, you know, was jump- who's never had a number one in America? This is fantastic. Mm. But to me, it was like, oh, that's great, right, nice, let's 
what's next. <laughs> Have you yeah. always been very laid back, or was it something that happened that made you? <laughs> Somebody hit me on the head. <laughs> no, but did was there like a moment in your life you thought, hang on a second, just pull yourself in? Because you always seem very measured and very considered kind of person. Yeah, I suppose I am. I think... Um I think having a loony lifestyle through the 70s uh, and, and uh, having children uh, made me that kind of way in, in a certain way. There was like a secondary police force. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yes, I do, yeah. Because I didn't, I didn't want to finish up in a gutter, you know, with uh, having taken this, that or the other. Mm. Or I didn't particularly want to get into uh, things that, you know, would upset my kids. So mm. that's probably it. But, you know, maybe I'm that way anyway. But certainly, they, if, if there are any, if there are any wrong alleys to go down, I always thought twice because of, yeah. uh, of the kids. Are, are there any of the fans who have sort of items that used to belong to you, like stage outfits? Did they ever sort of produce them and say, "Hey, do you remember this?" Um, I think, they, yeah, they've got bits and pieces. I mean, they are—they're they're really quite um, obsessive. Yeah, <laughs> extraordinary. They actually know more about me than I do. I mean. A lot of the things are a blur to me, you know, because I've done so much in so many different places. But they'll, they'll say, oh, you remember that record you made with uh, Rosé, mm. who was a black girl singer? And I'll go, mm. um, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, but for, for me, it's come and gone. Probably but, part of that getting to tomorrow today thing. But as I'm getting older, I'm starting to think about today a bit more. You're not that old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how many more tomorrows there be. No. Um, and how do you feel about people selling things on eBay and so on? Do you ever look at those websites? I don't know. Do, do you, does that annoy you that they're selling signed CDs of yours and things, or do you don't care? No, if it makes them happy. I mean, yeah. I'm not worried about it. I'm mm. not precious about it, no. And, and since you've been famous, how easily has it been to go shopping? Um, it, well, it used to be tricky, but it's uh, it's a bit easier now. But thankfully, I mean, I've always been treated with a tremendous amount of respect by people, from, from builders to housewives. Um, maybe they recognise, you know, some, uh, hopefully a, a certain amount of honesty in me and uh, I don't I, I don't never have any problems with people it's 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 much more you know it's le- a lot less now because I keep off of telly as much as I can and uh, you know deliberately yeah, well yeah I mean so, so much of what's on telly seems pretty pointless to me yeah 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 uh, you know I've been asked to do I'm a celebrity get me out of the jungle the first one and uh, why would you want to do that Said he got Darren Day doing it, doing impressions of you. <laughs> <Was he? laughs> there you are, cheap at half the price. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've always been very kind to your fans. How hard is it to find the fine line between being nice and not making them sort of a bit too obsessed with you? I think it's a kind of knack that you... Um, I mean, I am quite introvert anyway, mm. so I'm not a kind of gushy, you know, uh, touchy-feely sort of person. So that, uh, and I think it's a sort of knack that you, uh, you you get. The Queen's got it. I mean, she's fantastic. There's a, there's a sort of interest, but you know, it's kind of there and gone. And uh, I don't say that I, you know I've got. Uh, I'm not the, the the Queen of England or anything like that. But mm. what I'm saying is that you, if you can understand, there's a certain warmth you can give that can stop. You know, that doesn't give the wrong impression. Yeah. It, it would be bad to abuse people's, you know, kind of obsessions or feelings, mm. I've always felt. Do you think 
being idolised by women has made it hard for blokes to admit enjoying your music. I think in the early days, of course, I mean, if you, uh, I mean, what was interesting was that the, the way I'm perceived in America, or the way I was perceived, I haven't done much there for years, but the way I was perceived there and the way I was perceived over here, because of the, um, the bedroom posters that, mm. you know, came out of Jackie and all the other things in the UK, there was a certain... Uh, infatuation of how I looked well mm. th there was none of that going on in America so the, the the fan following there when we did eventually play some concerts was completely different it was mm. like 75% men you know because they had uh, that'll be the day Stardust Rock On and the first few albums uh, so it's quite interesting I mean it was all a surprise to me the um the bedroom poster syndrome mm. I remember the first tour I just couldn't believe it the screaming <laughs> But looking back on it, you know, it's only happened to a handful of people, yeah. the Beatles, Frank Sinatra and a few others. And yeah. So uh, I wish I'd enjoyed it a bit more, but I was always yeah. adamant that I had to have the best musicians and try and experiment with sounds and all the rest of it, yeah. but it's all been good. And how much fan mail do you get these days, and where does most get sent to? It gets, to the, it gets sent to the office, uh, Mel Bush's office. Yeah, I get loads of, you know, birthday cards and probably be a couple of Valentine cards as well. <laughs> I do look at them and, you know, some, are, some I'll, uh, I'll answer or whatever. Because mm. you find now, that, you know, because of my age, it's, people have certain ailments and bits and pieces that are going on in their lives. So, mm. uh, But as a writer, it's wonderful when you get a letter saying that a particular song you wrote, you know, meant so much. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's really, like the, the autobiography I wrote said, it's mm. a charmed life. Yeah. And probably because of some of your songs, you're assumed to be a romantic kind of person. How hard is it to live up to that image? <laughs> well, I don't have to live up to it, really, do I? Uh, only in the privacy of my relationship. Indeed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and like you, I'm sure I do my best. <laughs> And you're in Boogie Nights 2 at the moment. For one week only. Oh, really? Yeah, we've been doing it for 18 months, and it was just this one week in Wolverhampton, which we're doing. And that's been quite nice, because it's been like a reunion, because we stopped doing it in October, you see. So we're all trying desperately to remind ourselves of what lines we've got to say <laughs> after a four-month break. And, and what's, uh, what's on the schedule, then, after this? Write the next album... Uh, and then a big UK tour, because I haven't toured for almost three years in the mm. UK. Um, so uh, we'll be touring September, October, November. And will you have any involvement in the forthcoming stage production of The War of the Worlds? I don't think I will. I did speak to Jeff uh, uh, just gently, but um, no, I don't... Uh, I'm not even sure when it goes on. So the artillery man will probably be some other artillery man. <laughs> <laughs> what about Avita? Because that's being redone. Yeah, I could play Peron, couldn't I? Mm. <laughs> Would you fancy going into Evita again? I think it's a great show. I really enjoyed, you know, being the first Jay. I love doing it. But no, no, nobody's asked me. I mean, I'm sure there are some young guns that will play Jay. And, uh, but it's a good musical, and it should still work. Yeah. But many artists these days with a decent back catalogue have created stage musicals around their hits. What chance of you doing that? Yeah, Mel Bush was talking about that. This is another sort of lack of energy, I suppose. I should really write another musical. I don't know if I'd, I'd, I'd do it like that, but Mutiny was such a kind of uh, dinosaur to drag around. It was, you know, big because I don't... Well, I think uh, Tony Newley and um, Noel Coward think, wrote stuff and starred in it. They're the only people, and it's... 
it's not to be thought of lightly. No, <laughs> no. But you, you, I mean, you, have you seen anything like Mamma Mia or the um, Madness or Queen's musical? I saw the Madness one. I love that. Yeah, that's the only one I've seen. But you don't fancy doing one of your own then, because you've got some great hits to tie together. Yeah, it could it could work. That's another good idea. Is it? How much you want for that one? <laughs> <laughs> I tend. To, there's a thing with me. If I see a kind of fashion or trend, I tend to go the other way. Mm. That's probably why I haven't sort of gone down that road. You know, I saw the one with Rod, and yeah, I didn't see that. I saw that came out, and so you know, if it becomes sort of a point of fashion and everybody's doing it, I, I tend not to um, to follow the same route. Think of the money man. Well, yeah, but it's only tax, isn't it? <laughs> That's true. Um, last year, you were reported to be joining EastEnders. What happened? Well, they uh, we, we parted company quite amicably. I mean, basically, it was really a time problem because they <coughs> felt that they wanted to extend the character I was going to play. And uh, initially, I said I'd only do like three, four weeks top whack, mainly because my mum loves it. Right. And uh, and because they wanted to make the you know character more substantial and keep me in it for longer, it clashed really with uh, me wanting to write the next album. So uh, I said, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't think I'll do it. And they said, fine, that's okay. And everything was all right. And how much time had you spent preparing for it? And did you get as far as being in the Queen Vic? No. No, I, I met with the um, producers and writers and two times and tried some clothes on and then changed my mind yeah and did the character you were due to play get played by someone else or is he still waiting i don't think he's appeared yet right because i'd I'd be filming about now and what chance of you going into it in the future then well i I never like to close doors but um i I can't see it sort of happening imminently no do you quite fancy the idea i mean it did wonders for shane ritchie didn't it yeah i think i'm a little bit different to that yeah no i I wasn't going to compare you but um no, I'm not putting Shane down. Um, uh, uh, you know, I, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it's obvious. I was born there. And, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, I seem, seem able to act a bit, and, it, you know, it would work and all that. But it's that TV thing, you know, just being in everybody's front room. It, it just stops you hitting Tesco's now and again, you know what I'm right. saying? And that puts you off now at this stage. It does a little bit, yeah. yeah. But to what extent are you a fan of EastEnders? Or? Oh, I like it, yeah. You do? Yeah, I, th- I respect it as well. I mean, I did, there's a DVD coming out of a, a six-part thing I did for the BBC called The River. Uh, I remember that one. Yeah, and that, that was, I found that really, I mean, it, it was a very wordy part. He was a sort of a philosopher, really. So I had these long speeches about nature and the meaning of life and everything else. And it's all done very quickly, and uh, it was quite hard work. So I have a lot of admiration for the people in it. I know they only, they're on screen sort of two minutes and it moves somewhere else, but to do it week in, week out, can't be that easy. Yeah, and I take it from what you were saying earlier that you're not a fan of Pop Idol, X Factor and Fame Academy. Uh, well, I think, you know, I think it's okay. I think that their strength is that maybe they do give a platform to talent, but what worries me <coughs> is what, what happens to the winners. Uh, you know, that successful sort of 18 months and then oblivion generally, which I think uh, can personally and psychologically be quite damaging. Yeah, yeah. So, so that worries me a bit. Are there any reality programmes you would take part in? No, no. And last year you toured with the Osmonds, Bay City Rollers and David Cassidy. What was that like? I loved it. I had such a great time. I mean, it was uh, stadiums, which I haven't played for a while. You know, you go on and you do, I think we did 40 minutes 
it was brilliant. I really enjoyed it. Did it take you back? Uh, yeah, it did a little bit, yeah. It did a little bit, yeah, especially Les McEwen's stuff took me back for some reason. Uh, they were quite good, they were quite punky. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it worked out quite well. The Osmonds were professional, and, and I don't think um, David Cassidy went down as well as he would have liked, but right. but all in all, it was uh, 11 shows and fantastic response, and in a way, it was a coming together of a generation, you know, mm. it, was quite, it was more than a concert. You know, you had uh, lots of... 45-year-old people all coming together and, and it was it was quite a quite special thing. And how much time did you spend sort of reminiscing with them about the old days? None at all. Really? No. Never met any of them before. Our paths very rarely crossed. I mean, they're all a little bit different to me. They're, they're, none of them are writers, really. They were successful in the 70s as I was, but, but that was about it. Do you ever meet um, or spend much time with David Bowie? No. I mean, I met him because we used to play in blues bands and we would, uh, you know, play at the same venues now and again. He was called David Jones then. And I was in a band called Mood Indigo. So, you know, you'd see him at your pie island or different places. But uh, just just a, a quick hello, you know, an acquaintance, not really a friend. What is it that continues to get you out there doing your thing these days? Uh, well, good question. I think I want to thank people for being interested mm. and I want to do the best I can with whatever I'm working at. I think it's as simple as that. It's certainly, I mean, the money is an aspect, but it's not the reason. Mm. Um, I think it's a way of, of saying thanks and I'm here and this is what I do and I hope you like it type mm. thing. Mm. It's a way of communicating, isn't it? Are you going to bop till he drops, do you think? Or will you ever retire? Don't know. I, I, I have pangs to retire, and then somebody offers me something, or somebody suggests something like you have, a couple of things, and now <laughs> I've got swimming around in my head, <laughs> and then off I go again. But you wouldn't know what to do if you retired, would you? You're a very creative brain, haven't you? So. I think so, yeah. Mm. I mean, that's, that's one of the things. You know, do you go to sea? Do you age sort of 10 years uh, in the first year you retire, and all mm. those other aspects? And I mean, I've never, I haven't had a real job for years. Mm. You know, I've been doing this. So, mm. uh, you know, to say retire from this, is it, it, it's not like being a bank clerk or something else. It's a different sort of feeling, really. I certainly would not carry on if, if I felt, uh, you know, I'd lost dignity doing what I was doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that would be a time to uh, really stop. So, uh, you know, I'd like to leave doing what I'm doing at, at a stage where um, I was still doing a decent job if you know what i mean what forms of exercise do you do nowadays to maintain physical fitness um i, I kick the ball about a bit um play cricket now and again and uh, i like to walk mm -hmm. sport has been a savior for me i mean i've played it all my life and uh that's probably that's all it is really peter mm. would you rather have had uh, a great career with west ham than uh, some of the hit records you've had I don't think so. I think I'd be a sort of needled-up manager now who would have been sacked about eight times. <laughs> but, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased the way it all went. I mean, I was a little bit sad that my boys gave up the football because they, they show great promise. They were at the West Ham Academy and all that. But just like me, when they were 14, they wanted to be rock musicians, so I can't mm. say anything. And to what extent is David Essex a different person from David Cook? I think that's the saviour, you know. I mean, it's obviously a part of me. But it's quite nice being two people and, and returning to the boy that came from Cannon Town. 
because your autobiography was very successful and you, you said to me last time I interviewed you that you would consider doing some more books. Are you going to write a second volume? I've been asked to, to write books, yeah. Uh, again, it's that it's getting round to it yeah. aspect. Um, I did enjoy it. I enjoyed it more than I thought I would and I learned uh, quite a lot about me as well because, you know, as I said... I do uh, tend to move on quickly and not savor and think about what, what sort of happened. But it was having to go back and look at the archives and timings and things that uh, made me think, well, yeah, I haven't done too badly. And I enjoyed writing. So, it, you know, maybe uh, when the performance aspect starts to... Uh, I start to step away from that. Maybe that's, that's a career I can do into my 70s, maybe. Write, write books somewhere a bit sunny. And to what extent do you miss not looking like you did in the 70s? Uh, it doesn't worry me. It doesn't worry me. You know, I wouldn't have any of that sort of nip and tuck stuff or any of that. I don't, I don't put any uh, creams on. I, I mean, I'm naturally just a scruff. And uh, if I still look OK, then that's down to the jeans, I think. Why wouldn't you do any nip and tuck? Oh, no, it's not real. I don't, th I don't like things that are not real. I like real things. What do you regard as your single greatest achievement in life so far? The freedom that uh, my various successes have given me, I think, uh, both in, in monetary terms and personal terms. And how would you feel about a sort of Graceland-style David Essex Museum being created after you left this planet? <laughs> well, I am in the West Air Museum, so, I mean, that's... Uh, Are you? Yeah, I'm a talking head in there. Oh, right. I haven't seen it, but apparently it's quite impressive. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, I'm not sure I worry about that when I'm long gone. So thank you very much indeed. Lovely to talk to you. Lovely to talk to you again. And, and continue thanks to for the good ideas. Yes, I'll be sending an invoice to the... <laughs> <laughs> you take care of yourself. And you, all the best. Nice to talk to you. And you. Bye-bye. This is Peter Jonathan Robertson. I hope you enjoyed listening to my chats with David Essex. If you'd care to comment on these or any other of my interviews from the PJ Archive, you'll find me on Twitter at PeterJonathanR2.